Bill, first and foremost, people do need the Lord. We all need the Lord. First of all, for salvation. Most importantly, where will we spend eternity? Uh, Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, for our sins, to pay the price for us, to redeem us, to purchase us so that we would belong to him and one day live forever with him in heaven. Uh, if we have placed our trust personally, that in our heart we believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for our sins and rose again, proving his power over death. That's first and foremost how people need the Lord. And then from there we have a walk, a daily walk to live with the Lord in our lives. When we need the Lord every day uh, in the choices we make uh, for wisdom, and studying his word and learning from his word and applying that to our lives with the word of God. Sometimes there are various um, disagreements or different interpretations. And of course, we should always be um, loving and kind with those who might take a different one. There's only one, can be one right interpretation, but there's many good and right applications of his word. So this morning, we're gonna be in 1 Timothy, picking up where we left off in verse eight last week of, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, I believe this is a difficult passage to, pr to preach from this morning. Uh, it's through the, the way that I preach, I try to preach through books, preaching a book at a time. Right now we're in 2 Samuel. Uh, those of you who were with me last week in the evening service, I appreciate your patience. I'm sorry for going so long. Last week we went a few, uh, maybe 15 minutes over. But uh, we'll try not to do that tonight. But, uh, and I'll try not to definitely lose anyone in that um, preaching through the book of 2 Samuel. And last week we looked at a bunch of names and peoples. And uh, tonight, tonight will be much simpler as we look at one of David's songs. Not all of David's poetry is found in the book of Psalms. There's also a song that he wrote in 2 Samuel we'll be looking at tonight in our continuation of our study in that book. Last Sunday morning, we started our study of the book of 1 Timothy, uh, which is how I like to preach every once in a while. Of course, we'll have a holiday or a special day or even a special standalone sermon that I'll preach. But this uh, passage is probably never one that I would pick as a special standalone uh, sermon, which is why it's important to preach through books, because some topics, you know, preachers such as uh, would often try to shy away from, would not want to preach that particular topic uh, unless it came up in the passage in a book study. So that's why I like to uh, study books. And this is one book, as I mentioned last week, that is called a pastoral epistle, as it deals with a person and it deals with ministry. It's addressed to Timothy, who is an itinerant pastor. He's a traveling preacher who has been commissioned by Paul to go to the church at Ephesus. Of course, we have an epistle written to the Ephesians by Paul while he's imprisoned in Rome. We also had a message recorded in the book of Acts given by Paul to the Ephesians, and he stressed, stay true to doctrine, beware of false doctrine, beware of wolves. He stressed that, and we saw that last week. He stressed that to Timothy. Last week we saw three important elements of serving God, the importance of serving God by teaching sound doctrine that produces faith and love. Also, the, the trust, how 
serving God, how ministry is a trust given by God, by His grace, and therefore it is all to His glory. It's not of our own uh, merit that we serve the Lord or by our own strength and wisdom, but it is by the grace of God. And then our first weapon of ministry we, be, we looked at last week was prayer, and we, we left off in verse 8, uh, where we find uh, that it says, I will therefore... 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And the next word is very key in the next, the next phrase, in the next verse, in like manner also. So last week, the last point that we looked at is how prayer is the first weapon as there is spiritual warfare the devil wants to hinder the work of god and the church of god and the people of god and our relationship with him our service for him our walk with him and the first weapon we have in that spiritual warfare this first instrument of serving him if you will the first calling the first um, commission for those serving the lord is prayer and that's something that we can all do you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to pray. Every one of us should pray every day. Thanking God for his blessings, giving him the glory for who he is, his character, his goodness in our lives, and also giving him his, our prayer requests very specifically. God will answer our prayer requests specifically as we bring them to him. We'll look at that concept tonight in, De in David's song of praise to the Lord in 2 Samuel. But today, following this verse in 2 Timothy, we see in verse 9, in like manner also, that women, and then the next several verses are about women. Um, and so when I was in uh, seminary, one of my projects was assigned the topic of the role of women in the church, and I was given the specific passage uh, to study out and write a sermon. And I, I look, looking at how long that sermon was, I believe the requirement must have been 30 pages um, because it ended up being 33 pages long, double space. Uh, but uh, I'm, I, I cut some of those pages out and, and, and restudied it, restudied it, and uh, am ready to bring that message, the Lord willing, this morning. And we'll be looking at three specific applications to God's role for women in worshiping the Lord. And of course, what I want you to men to focus on here in verse 9, in like manner also. In other words, everything he's saying to women, he's, he's, he's referring it back to men, first of all, are to pray everywhere. Women also, because it says in like manner also. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So God speaks first of all to men, and He says, "In like manner also," because He says, "In like manner also." That means a lot of these things we're talking that when it addresses women, apply to men as well, and when it speaks to women in verse eight, applies to women as well. And we're going to look at some specific applications this morning. Now, first, I, I want to say that uh, in bringing this message, you know, sometimes people take different views of this passage. And we're going to try and look at what is God's intended view for this passage. And in everything I do as the pastor, I want to make sure I am not in any way trying to cause division and, uh, or split our church in any way on a manner of, of, of doctrine. I will always stand firm what I believe and preach that. What I believe is God's intention for us as a church and for us as individuals and for his word and how it is to be taught.
But I have to be very careful, of course, of how I approach it. Sometimes, even throughout this year, as my first year of pastor, I get too gun ho and, uh, and when we're coming up on meetings and plans, and uh, we'll even run ahead and say, hey, let's talk about this upcoming meeting. And sometimes I need to be more careful and, and restrain myself and say, let's just wait till we get to that uh, deacons and the trustees meeting next week and, and discuss it there if we need to. And I just want you to know, uh, if you know, this has been my first year here, and uh, sometimes we refer to it as a, a year of probation. Um, and I just want you to know, if you are you know, unsatisfied uh, with, with my leadership or with my preaching, and you want to come to me and ask me, you feel like I, I cause more problems or anything like that, come to me, talk with me about that. If enough people come to me and say, Pastor, I want you to resign, I'll do that. You don't have to call a congregational meeting and vote me out anytime. <laughs> you can come to me personally, I'll, I'll step down. Uh, if enough people come to me and say, Pastor, I don't think this is the way we want to go, I'll step down, I'll resign. And uh, I want to put that out there. And uh, not just at the end of this year, but anytime. I won't take over and be here against the will of the people. If you want to come to me and we can work things out, I hope we can always work things out. And for the good of this church and for the glory of God and for the unity, I want to bring people together and not drive people away. Uh, one of the things uh, this week uh, that I enjoyed doing was getting to visit some of the members of this church. And something I need to do more of is... Uh, getting to know you all more. This first year has been, uh, has gone by way too fast. As a teacher over at uh, another Christian school, it was a busy, busy year of teaching. Of course, the last three weeks, up until last Saturday, I was up in Minnesota on vacation. But it's good to be back, and I'm trying to get back into the swing of things. And I know there's a lot of things physically that need to be done around the church, and we still need to be going out door to door and inviting people to church. But I also need to get to know each one of you more and be praying for each of you more and make sure that I am doing all I can to serve you and bring you all together and feed you as the Lord's sheep um, in this fellowship this local church together. Let's uh, open in, in prayer for the message and then we'll look at these three specific applications for God's role for women in worshiping him, in serving in the church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the many applications to our daily lives that we can find in your word for us. And uh, whether we're men or women, whether we're young or old, whether we are new believers or whether we have been saved for a very long time, uh, whether we have been involved in, in ministry or volunteer service or missionary work for a year, whether um, we're, we're, we're just coming back to church. But Lord, wherever we're at in real life, we know that you have a message for each of us from your word. And Lord, I just pray that you would make that message clear and abundant from your word this morning. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, in modern society today, we hear a lot today about people deciding, determining for themselves what their gender is now. And how some, in the public schools, some are allowing in some stores and such places, they're allowing people to choose which bathroom they use based on what gender they identify as or what locker room they use based on what gender they identify as. And people will make changes sometimes or take certain medications to make them more masculine or feminine or something like that. 
But the Bible, however, does give a purpose that God has for each gender role. That's something that is, is biblical. Uh, and it's, uh, the, the Bible is something that we can unite around and agree around. Uh, it's certainly not meant um, um, to divide, although some will, will apply it in different ways. And we have to always compare what our society's thinking is and are we being influenced by our society rather than what the Word of God says. Always come back to God's Word. What is His intention for gender roles? And uh, certainly before God, we know from God's Word that men and women are equal before Him in their opportunity to have a relationship with Him, to be redeemed, to know Him, to walk with Him, to be loved by Him, to fulfill His purpose for a life. Men and women are equal in that sense. But we all know, I, I believe, that, that men and women are not the same. There are a lot of differences. Um, you know, when, husbands and wives know this well, that uh, there's certain differences between us, that uh, um, we have certain tendencies. I tend to be more one track. My wife will, will bring many different things up in a conversation, like, whoa, one thing at a time. Um, uh, I'm in this box right now, uh, where women think more like spaghetti. It's all mixed, it's all intertwined. And, uh, you know, uh, men, we have this thing called the empty box. We like to go to, and my wife will say, what do you think about, uh, nothing? And you might be thinking about nothing, really. I mean, women can't do that. This is what I heard. They can't think about nothing. It's impossible. Um, always got something on the mind. Usually more than one thing, I believe. Uh, men were more one-track minds. There's, there's just differences between men and women. And, and sometimes they are humorous. And, and sometimes they can lead to conflict. But God has a purpose for the differences in the genders. And some of that is laid out this, this morning uh, in this passage. Uh, the first uh, role that I want to look at for women is in worshiping um, the Lord, how we are, women approach worship. Now, both men and women should come to worship the Lord modestly. Um, and let's look at, of course, that, that principle in verse 9. Verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold pearls or costly array. There's many different ideas there. It's not saying don't dress up to the best of your ability. It's not saying that at all. It's not saying try to look nice. That's not saying that at all. Uh, but what we're saying here is that what's most important is not our outward appearance. Um, Women tend to spend more time preparing uh, to go out of the house. And that's, I think, can be a good thing. It's not anything against that at all here. But what's most important, of course, for a man or for a woman is godly character. Are we, is our life becoming more like Christ? Are we exhibiting the character that God wants us to exhibit in our lives. That is what is most important. So what Paul is saying here is what is most important is not how you look on the outside, but who you are on the inside. And of course, that applies to men as well. But he's speaking uh, in particular to women, reminding women of this. And there's uh, many other things, other passages where we could look at specific areas that we, we have to address to men. This is one he's addressing to women. Of course, it applies to both of us. Um, so let's look at some of the, these terms. The first one here, shamefacedness. 
actually has less to do with a woman's face. It's not saying don't wear makeup, not saying that at all. Um, what shamefacedness is, is referring to is a certain attitude um, of humility uh, before God that prepares oneself to worship God and to interact with other people in that godly manner. And that word modesty, uh, the ad women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Actually, let's skip that term. We'll go back to that term. Modest apparel. That word modest uh, can be a relative term. C.S. Lewis helps define it in his book, Mere Christianity. Um, I'll just read what he has to say. It's interesting, and then I'll summarize. Um, we don't want to get modesty mixed up with morality or chastity. There is certainly a difference, says C.S. Lewis. He says the Christian rule of chastity must not be confused with the social rule of modesty in the sense of a word propriety or decency. The social rule of propriety lays down how much of the human body should be displayed and what subjects can be referred to in what words according to the customs of a given social circle. Thus, while the rule of chastity is the same for all Christians of all times, the, the rule of propriety changes a girl in the Pacific Islands wearing hardly any clothes and a Victorian lady completely covered in clothes might be equally modest, proper, and decent according to the standards of their own societies and both for all we could tell by their dress might be equally chaste or equally unchaste. When people break the rule of propriety current with their own time and place, if they do so in order to excite lust in themselves or others, then they are offending against chastity. But if they break it through ignorance or carelessness, they are guilty only of bad manners. So we'll, we'll put that out there as men, of course, and ladies. We should all treat one another when we come in to worship together, um, always that we treat one another that you're, you're dressed modestly. We're not going to look at you and try and judge you by what you're wearing or say something to you. We always treat everyone as they are dressed in modest attire. But you know, we, part of um, a encouragement to women is to make sure that we are uh, dressed in modest attire. And what that really means is that we're dressed in a way that doesn't distract uh, from worshiping God. And um, you know, someone. Uh, if I was to wear a blaze orange suit or you know, with plaid and uh, polka dots and stuff, that would be a little distracting. Or dye my hair orange or something like that, that might be a little distracting. It'd be immodest, it'd be distraction. And you know, if we were actually to, or even if someone was to dress up as a historical uh, outfit and come to church that way, it might be a little distracting. Uh, so, so that's what, part of the idea of modest is we don't want a distraction. Of course, anything that would um, encourage uh, wrong desires, of course. Uh, so women should dress modestly is, is part of preparing for worshiping the Lord. And there are different types of, of dress it, that are described in the Bible. Proverbs 7.10 uh, refers to such a thing as the dress of a harlot, that there's a certain attire of a harlot, that way that that person dresses. And of course, that would be something we would, would want to avoid. We want to dress as someone who who is... Um, coming to worship the Lord. And uh, we, we certainly don't need to uh, argue about um, questions uh, that, that uh, about modesty. That don't, we need to always give everyone that benefit that, we, that they're doing their best, that, that they are dressed to come and worship the Lord when we meet together. And uh, 
again, I mentioned shamefacedness has less to do with one's face than with the spirit in which we come to church, uh, which we worship the Lord, that we're preparing ourselves uh, for uh, what we are expecting, that we're expecting to come to church and worship, worship the Lord. Um, you know, there's different extreme applications of modest apparel and shamefacedness uh, that we could speak of, uh, uh, but they're still relevant to that society. For example, Muslims in their society in Middle Eastern countries will wear a veil. And um, American women in the military will often wear that veil even though they're not Muslim, so that they're not drawing undue attention to themselves. Uh, that would be very bad. And so that's an example of modesty. Um, for us, we, we, don't, we don't try to, or encourage that. that we, to us, that would be an extreme. Um, but of course, when we meet someone like that, we want to be tolerant of that person and still be friendly and looking to share the gospel and point people to Christ, being an example of Christ in everything we do. So uh, women, um, in being shamefaced, is preparing ourselves to have an attitude of worship. Um, Jewish men, when they would come to worship God in the Old Testament, they would put uh, a head covering over their head. Uh, for us today in American society, uh, as a sign of respect, when we pray, we, we take our hats off. Um, even when I was up in Minnesota for uh, the 4th of July, there was a parade. And I my heart was warm to see that when the American flag came down, everybody stood up, every, all the men re, uh, removed their hats, placed their hand over their heart, and it was encouraging to see that respect. And of course, we have a similar respect for, for God as we do uh, for our country and for our flag and for the men who have served our country. And so in the same, that's the same idea here with the, uh, when it says sobriety in verse 9 with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold pearls or costly array, which it's not forbidding these things, but it's meaning don't try to display how wealthy you are or how fashionable you are. That shouldn't be the focus when we're coming to church, to see how fashionable or to display how wealthy we are, but rather to come with an attitude of worship and respect to the Lord. That, that, that should be... Um, the, the tendency, and of course the implication is that, that maybe in the town of Ephesus that wasn't always happening. Maybe people were uh, trying to uh, show off how wealthy they were or how fashionable they were when they dressed for church. And so Paul is uh, encouraging women in that way in verse 9. Verse 10, again the emphasis is on the person inside. Verse 10 says, but which becometh. So in verse 9 it said, not with braided hair or gold pearls or costly array. So we should adorn ourselves not with those things, but, verse 10, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So again, the emphasis is not the outward appearance. The emphasis is that the way we dress, the way we carry ourselves is one that it, that focuses on the Lord and that uh, gives the attention, does not take the attention from God and put it on ourselves, but rather on the Lord and on the things that we're doing and saying that are honoring to the Lord. That sh should always be the focus, being godly, being like God, honoring God with our lives. 
again, it's not saying don't wear jewelry. Uh, some, you know, like the Amish will take it to that, that, oh, don't wear jewelry. It's not saying don't wear it, saying that that's not the emphasis, that's not the focus. That's the first application to come away with here is to prepare for worship by dressing modestly, which includes the clothes, uh, the hair, uh, preparation of the hair, and, uh, and, and wearing such things as jewelry, uh, being modest. Um, that is, uh, dressing modestly in preparation for worship is the first application for the role of women and how women are different. You know, perhaps some of those things could apply to men sometimes, um, you know, that we wouldn't want to do some of those same things. Uh, uh, but, uh, but he's speaking specifically to women because it's usually the women uh, who are more concerned with that uh, outward adornment. Um, but rather than the outward, uh, just outward adornment, we're to prepare uh, modestly and secondly the second application from this passage is that God's design for the gender role of women is learning submissively is another uh, purpose for women learning submissively uh, women are to learn godly character quietly now, some people will take this verse to an extreme, of course, and, and, and we don't do that here. Obviously, we, women will talk in church, and that is fine. Uh, that is good. It's not what we're seeing here, but let's look at what God's Word does say in verse 11. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. So let's break this down. Um, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. This is similar to what 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35 says, which says, uh, let your women keep silence in the churches for it is not permitted unto them to speak, meaning to speak in teaching is what it's saying here. It's not, it's not forbidding women to, to sing special music or even to give testimony or even to ask any question whatsoever. But to uh, be teaching and asking questions with the purpose of teaching. Um, that is what we're talking about here. But they're commanded to be under obedience, says 1 Corinthians 14, 35, um, as, as also say at the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church, says 1 Corinthians 14, 35. And again, um, our modern society takes this idea and says, what? Wait a minute, women are to be quiet, but I want to point something out to you in verse um, 11. At the time Paul writes this, the culture to which he writes was not taken by surprise by this at all. It was perfectly normal for women to be silent and um, you know, submissive and all of that at that time in history. It's very perfect. You know what wasn't normal to them, what would have stood out to their culture to the point where this would have seemed new to them was the idea that a woman should learn. Look at verse 11, let the women learn. That would have been the exclamation point at the time. They would have been, yeah, 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 that's all normal for our culture. Wait a minute, women are to learn, what? Okay, uh, because you know, it, it's been throughout history. Sometimes education was only for men. So th if you took that cultural application and, and took it to the church, it would be okay, you know, the church is for men, preaching is for men. Women aren't supposed to be learning. They don't need that. They just got to be at home cooking the meals and, and, and doing the dishes. We don't need them to be in church learning. No. So this, to the culture at the time, would have been the exclamation point. Wait, women are to learn? Yes. 
Women are to learn. Women are to be in the church learning more from um, God and his word and his Bible um, through the teaching in the church. Women are to learn and through their husband at home as well. This is one of the roles, one of the responsibilities of the husband is to lead his wife in devotions. Very important. And the husband, of course, learns as he does so. Who often learns the most when they're teaching? Often it's the person doing the teaching. And, uh, and husbands are to learn as well, of course, as they lead in this learning. Part of the reason for this is the picture that God wants to present. In Ephesians 5, the husband is compared to Christ and the woman is compared to the church. It's Christ that is to teach and the church is to learn. And of course that means uh, Christ died for the church. Means the husband is the sacrifice because Christ loved the church. He loved us for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Men were supposed to sacrifice what we want and out of love for our wives and the, the other women in our lives, our mothers, our daughters, our sisters, and sisters in Christ, we're to be sacrificing. And by the way, um, these verses in the way that uh, the original languages word, word them, when it speaks of a woman, it's specifically talking to wives and not the idea that all men are superior to all women, but that in a husband and wife relationship, God designed the man to lead and to teach in that relationship. And that in general, in the church, we believe a pastor and someone who's leading um, a Bible study with men and women present should be a man, that that's God's desired order because it's a picture again. And God does not want us uh, to, to mess up his, his pictures. He had a picture for Moses in the Old Testament of Christ uh, being once sacrificed. That's when he hit the rock and the water came out, and that was a picture of Christ. And then he was to speak to the rock, and the rock was going to give water because Christ died once, and then he rose again. But Moses messed up the picture and smote the rock a second time. Uh, he smote the rock when God told him to speak to it. And because of that sin and messing up God's picture, Moses was not able to enter the promised land. He was able to see it, but because he didn't follow God's instruction, lost his patience and his temper in that situation, he wasn't able to see the promised land. So God's pictures are important, and one of those pictures is that the, the husband is supposed to be an example of Christ and the wife an example of the church. And that's a picture in the church as well. And at the time, again, I mentioned the culture of the time. You know, one of the arguments today that you will hear is that at the time in this culture, Ephesians, uh, the church where Timothy was working, they had some women who were teaching um, false religions. That there was, and, and so some would say, oh, that was just for the Ephesians because of the women who were there teaching these false uh, religions. And so we wanted, they wanted, they wanted there to be a distinction. But, of course, it's not just women who teach false teachings. Uh, women, uh, often, you, you, know, you can turn on the TV and you can watch women who, who may call themselves pastors when they are teaching good things. They're teaching the Bible. It's not that they're teaching wrong. Uh, men can sometimes teach what is wrong as well. Um, and so it's not that women, when they teach, teach the wrong thing. It's that the picture here, God's design, his order, his purpose, is that the man 
uh, be the one leading uh, in the home, that he be the one leading in uh, studying God's word and in the church, that he be the one that, that is doing the preaching. Uh, but there's still, we'll get to, there is a role for women to teach as well. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, that will be our third, uh, third application. But let's look at this verse 13 and 14, uh, these verses. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. So let's look back to, if you will, um, Genesis 3, where this happened. Genesis 3, verse 16, one of the 316s of the Bible. We know John 316, for God so loved the world and gave his only begotten son. John, uh, Genesis 316 says, it is part of, part of the curse of sin. Um, now, again, some people will say the curse is that women have to submit to their husbands. No, says 1 Timothy, it's because Adam was created first. Now, by the way, Man was not created first because he's better or superior in any way. In fact, man, I believe, is created first so we could see why we need the woman. So man could be by himself for a while and see what it was like and that something's missing. We need the women as well. There's a purpose. And God designed women for a purpose. Uh, he, man needs that companionship, needs that help from the women. He is not self-sufficient. Um, verse 16 of uh, Genesis 3 says, Unto the woman he said... I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Uh, that word desire shall be to thy husband is the same term that's used in Genesis 4. When um, God speaks to Cain after Cain had, slew his, had killed his brother Abel, had murdered his brother, and God pronounced a punishment to Cain. And in that he said, The Lord uh, said to Cain, uh, verse 10, and he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood cries to me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from that earth, which, which opened her mouth to receive her brother, uh, thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto her, you, thee, your, her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said, The Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast drivest me, driven me out this day from the face of the Lord. And from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto Cain, Therefore whoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taketh on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. So um, in this passage, you know, I, I went too far ahead in that passage. Uh, when... God first rebuked Cain when, when Cain brought an offering uh, in verse 5 of chapter 4. But unto Cain in his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. The Lord God said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt, that, uh, shalt thou not be accepted, and if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire." and then thou shalt rule over him. Notice, unto thee shall be his desire, speaks of sin, and thou shalt rule over him. If you look back at Genesis 3.16, it's the same exact words, same exact language, same exact idea. 
unto him, unto Adam, unto thy husband, uh, shall be thy desire, and he shall rule over thee. It's the same term, which means men and women have this natural struggle, this conflict that comes naturally, uh, that uh, there's a certain desire that we have um, in a husband and wife relationship sometime for the wife to make the decision or the, and, the, and the man is the one that makes, uh, God says, rules means there's a struggle. There's this uh, conflict of ideas. And that was part of the curse, but not part of the creation, not part of God's design. The conflict between men and the women is a result of sin, it's part of the curse. And it's not how God designed things to be. God designed for the order to be naturally, uh, that uh, there be an order, that, that the man would be the leader and the wife would be his helpmeet, the one who completes him, who makes him complete. Uh, and you know, our third application deals with the role that women do have in teaching. That a woman is to be a role model, model and a teacher. Look at verse 15 in 1 Timothy 3, uh, 2, verse 15. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing, if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. She shall be saved in childbearing. Some people will get a little confused. What does that mean? Does that mean a person is, a woman is saved by childbearing? Does that provide health? Some people have said, well, that makes a woman healthier to have children. Or, um, or some people will even say, well, this refers to Mary had Christ and Christ died on the cross to save us. But I believe uh, a good application is she shall be saved in childbearing is referring to the role that a woman has in mentoring and raising up children and those younger than herself who are also women or even young men. I know when I was growing up in Sunday school, um, some of the most influential people in my life were women who were Sunday school teachers. And that's part of the role that a woman has in childbearing and, and teaching children if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And uh, some of the other pastoral epistle pos uh, uh, passages we dealt with in the book of Titus in our Sunday night study. And Titus gives the example of, of young men, older men, young, uh, young women, older women, and how women are to um, interact with each other. And the role that women do have as mentors to younger women and, even, and to children, including boys. And so women do have a, a part to play. Um, 1 Timothy 5, we'll get to later, Lord willing. We'll come to 1 Timothy 5, which also deals with the office of widows and the role that women do have as mentors and teachers. There is a role for them to play even in the church. As Sunday school teachers, those who are raising up children to follow in the Lord's teachings. Teaching children is a role for women. And that's what I believe verse 15 is referring to. She shall be saved in childbearing, meaning there's still a role. There's still a role for women to play in teaching and leading. And that's in leading up children. Also, uh, as, as I mentioned, 1 Timothy 5 and Titus 3 mention the role that a woman has as a leader of other women. 
And so women's Bible studies would be an application of that. Um, and also, of course, person-to-person uh, -person mentorship of an older woman with a younger woman or two women uh, of faith growing in the study of God's word together. There is a place for that, and that's described in further detail in 1 Timothy 5 and Titus 3. So throughout God's role for women, the focus is godliness. It's godliness. It's becoming more like God. Uh, first of all, through the, through the outward appearance, that the focus is not to be an outward appearance. That's where the word modesty comes in. And then secondly, that uh, women are to be learning. And again, for the original readers, that was the emphasis, learning that women are to learn. That was something that would have been new to that culture. They, they would have thought the silence part was, oh, that's normal, that's expected. Today, we think, wait, wait a minute, this is kind of harsh. But the emphasis to the original leaders would have been women are to learn. Um, the way that women are to learn is, is the man taking the lead in the husband-wife relationship and teaching the wife at home, as well as in the church that um, the pastor should be a man. Next week, we'll be continuing, Lord willing, to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll be looking at what is the relationship in the church of the pastor, the deacons, what is their relationship uh, and qualifications, uh, and we'll be looking at that. But for, for women and for men, what is most important is our relationship with God, our walk with God. First of all, do you know the Lord as your Savior, Jesus Christ, died for you on the cross? Do you know him? That's where godliness starts. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? And then second, are we becoming more like him? Are we exemplifying godliness? And these three applications that we looked at for women can also be very applicable to men that because the flip side of women learning as men, what are we supposed to be doing in our marriages? We need to be leading. We need to be teaching, which means we have to be in God's word, studying God's word for ourselves. If we're not doing that, how are we going to lead our wife in prayer and Bible study? If we aren't doing our part of teaching and leading, we need to do our part, men. So men, there is, there is application for you here this morning as, uh, as men and God's role for you. And again, going back to verse 8. There's the, in the verse 9, in like manner also refers back to verse 8. The men lifting up holy hands everywhere, everywhere, without wrath and doubting. Like, in like manner also the women. So this passage referred to the roles of men and women in worshiping God. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. If there is anyone here who, who has not trusted uh, Christ as your personal Savior, I hope that you will consider. I would love to speak with you, meet with you. Um, again, if you're a visitor, I hope you fill out a visitor card or will do so. Maybe just hand that to me on your way out so that I can visit you, talk with you. If you have any question on, do you know the Lord? I hope you